Rock and Roll's Greatest Failure. Call Baby That's Really Me by John Otway. Read by John Otway. Call Baby That's Really Me. Chapter 7. John instinctively knew he had not done well in his A-levels and he knew he would have to get some sort of job until his career had picked up enough for him to go professional. Unfortunately, this plan did not work too well. Prospective employers were impressed when he told them how many O-levels he had and even more impressed when he told them how many A-levels he expected to get. There was one thing that did not impress them, however. As a referee on his job application form, John put down, Head of the Sixth Form, Grange County Secondary School, Aylesbury. I just thought it was the right sort of thing one puts on those forms, explains Otway. With most people, it probably was the right sort of thing. But if one wanted a job, the last thing one needed was a reference that went something like this. John has not spent a great deal of time at school for the last two years. Rather than concentrate on his academic studies... He has concentrated on playing his guitar and giving concerts of pop music. He has not been a constructive member of our sixth form, and furthermore, I do not expect him to do at all well in this year's exams. Poor John could not understand why, when he was doing so well in interviews, he was failing so badly in getting a job. Eventually, he did gain employment as a trainee quantity surveyor with the Aylesbury Borough Council. After he had been there a while... His boss told him about the reference he'd received. I was a bit worried about employing you, he said to him. But then I thought, what a nice lad you were in the interview. I don't think that reference was the right way for a school to start someone off in their working life. So I thought I'd take the risk and give you a job. He was probably wrong to give John the job and will probably get more rewards in heaven for his kind gesture than he got from Otway as a trainee quantity surveyor. Otway discovered pretty quickly that he hated work. School hours were short in comparison to work hours, and in comparison to John's school hours, work felt like a prison sentence. The building trade was not the sort of thing that appealed to John, nor come to that the sort of thing he was good at. He was quite good at mathematics because he could understand the concepts of Newton and calculus, but at arithmetic he was useless. He never managed to learn his times tables, but remembers the solution of a quadratic equation to this day. It is why he suddenly shot from around bottom of the class in maths at school to the top. Quantity surveying is basically all arithmetic. You receive drawings from the architect and from them work out how many bricks, how much cement and other materials it would take to build whatever the architect had in mind. On one occasion, from John's calculations, it would have taken an area twice the size of the proposed building to store the leftover bricks and mortar. He is the only person I know who can consistently make mistakes with a calculator, a workmate said of him. It was his times tables that let him down. Within six months, the benefit of both Star and Aylesbury Borough Council, John left his first real job to go professional. It was a rash move. Having a job meant Otway had started earning money. Earning money? taught him one financial rule that he has applied ever since. The more money you earn, the more you can get into debt. 
almost as soon as he received his first wage packet, he started to put this rule into practice. Chris, I think I ought to go into a recording studio to record some of my songs. It will cost £100, but now I'm working, I will be able to pay you back a tenner a week. If you lent me the money, John said. And so John got into debt, a state from which he has only once briefly escaped. John knew that in order to go into the studios, he would need a good musician. Chris needs bongo playing and screams looked good on stage, but they were not the sort of thing hit records were made of. Bearing in mind that Willie was the only blonde musician he knew at all, it was worth another attempt at getting together. This was not as difficult as it sounded. Willie had done some studio work before and had just been on the radio playing bluegrass music on a late night BBC show. As long as someone else was paying, he was quite willing to get some more experience in the studio, especially since Otway told him he could be the producer. And so it was that Otway the star, Potter the believer, Chris Frass the financier and Willie Barrett, the musician and producer, headed off to Maidenhead's Pro Musica studio in Chris's psychedelic A40 one April evening in 1972. The songs they chose to record were Gypsy, John's Ode to Mrs. Clark, and Misty Mountain, a tune Otway and Barrett had messed about with. It had no words when they began that journey, but luckily it had by the time they arrived at Maidenhead. This was the first time they had worked constructively together. For some strange reason, Willie's beautiful acoustic slide playing on Gypsy supported John's singing in a way that made his voice sound less offensive to the ear as did his fiddle playing on Misty Mountain. It was a good recording and Willie was pleased with the results. Otway was ecstatic. It's going to be really big, isn't it? He said to Willie. It's going to be a bloody hit, he said to France. Hit before Christmas, Otway and Potter said together. Hit before Christmas was a phrase that would crop up every year, even as late as 1987. After sending the tapes off a few times, Otway, Potter and France were to be disappointed. Otway and Potter because no one was interested in releasing the recording and Chris France because he never saw the promised tenor a week. After the recording session, Otway was back in Willie's good books and Willie started taking John around his circuit of folk clubs. Originally, the idea was for Otway to strum the chords behind Willie's fiddle and banjo playing. In return, John would get to play the nice gypsy song and earn the odd fiver. A good idea in theory, but in practice, more and more of the wild Otway crept into the Willie shows. As this wild element increased, Willie's rebookings decreased proportionately, and after some really extravagant performances, Otway managed to get Willie banned from a couple of places. Otway still owed Chris France the £100 for the recording, and his final wage packet, which was supposed to get him over the first difficult period, dried up after three days. He was very soon in dire straits. Chris France's father had bought up a positive mountain of zips from a firm that had gone bankrupt. These zips arrived in the Francis home in great mixed bales, long ones, short ones, some nylon, some metal, and in different colours. In order to resell these zips to market stores and the like, they all needed sorting out. They had to be repackaged, tagged by size, colour and material. 
Chris's father had been paying Chris £4.100 to do the work. Chris, seeing Otwain's such difficulties, magnanimously offered to help him out by subcontracting him to do the work at £2.100. John thought this was the perfect way of solving his immediate problems and had 10,000 zips delivered to Ash Grove so he could make some money. And so it was that the Otway home became a zip-packing factory. Bearing in mind that these zips had to be sorted into piles of colour, length and material, and bearing in mind that Otway was not the tidiest person in the world, you can understand how the carpet, furniture and complete ground floor of that house came to be covered in zippers. Added to all of this, in the middle of the living room floor, John had invented and built an elaborate machine that could cut the plastic packing bags to the right length in order to increase productivity. Neither Mr nor Mrs Otway particularly enjoyed having the family home turned into an industrial estate, and on the arrival of another 10,000 zips, Jack Otway decided the time had come to have words with his son. The words he chose were along the lines of, This is ridiculous. Either be sensible and get a proper job, or find somewhere else to live. Being sensible was not something our hero was particularly adept at, and so out of the two options offered to him by his father, he chose the latter. Having packed his bags and picked up the tenor of his wages from Chris France, he left home. At first, an old school friend who had sensibly got a flat for himself before leaving home put him up. But living with Otway is not the easiest thing in the world and the arrangement lasted only a few days. The difficulty of looking after himself suddenly hit Otway hard. But being a man of great imagination, an idea was not long in coming. Willie, John asked, would it be all right if I lived in your car for a while till I get something else sorted out? I mean, it would have its advantages. You wouldn't have to drive me home after the gigs at night. This arrangement, for obvious reasons, did not last long either. For a long while afterwards, John would feel bitter about being evicted from Barrett's car. It was awful, said Otway. One day he just drove me up to the Derby Arms in my new home, dropped me and my things off and drove away in it. Luckily, Potter was in the pub that night and offered to help get Otway out of the mess he was in. My mother has got one of these little pub tents. You know, just big enough to get you and a sleeping bag into. If you're really careful with it, I'm sure you could borrow it. That night, a psychedelic A40 dropped John and a small tent off in a beauty spot called Whiteleaf Cross in the Tilton Hills. I did feel bad about dropping him off like that, says Chris. For one thing, he was earning me a lot of money doing those zips, and I knew he couldn't work from that tent. Another is that none of us knew how to put the tent up. And as we left, John was scrambling around the hillside in the dark, trying to find poles and things. Dark times indeed for our young star. But there were compensations for this suffering. If indeed hard times like this bring out inspiration and creative genius, then it can possibly be seen in the song Trying Times, in which Otway describes his ordeal. Then the sky turned black and it grew cold and still, and the western wind blew up the hill and the autumn leaves fell, sheltering me from the cold and dark night that grew around me. Another compensation lay in the fact that Sue Reese, his girlfriend, lived just down the road from Whiteleaf Cross, in a small village called Monk's Risborough. Most mornings, after packing up his tent, 
he would carry it down the hill and walk the two miles to Sue's house. After checking that her parents had gone to work, he would hide the tent in the garage and Sue would make him breakfast. One evening, Mr. Reese discovered John retrieving his tent from the garage and was horrified to discover where his daughter's boyfriend was living. Sue's parents kindly put John up for a couple of weeks on their sofa. Things could not last like this forever and eventually Mr. Otway agreed that John could come home on the condition that he got a proper job and there were not, under any circumstances, be any more zips. (laughs) 